You know what I'm going to say. Do you have your Bibles ready? We want you to always have your Bibles ready because the more you read, the more you study, you can begin to write his words upon your heart and also upon your mind. Welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. As you know, this is the podcast. We will study the Bible, the biblical covenant and its deeper meanings, especially in today's times. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. So, as you know, we've been doing a series on the Day of Atonement. So we're going to continue that series. So, Pastor, the mic is yours. All right, I appreciate it. What we're going to do is uh, continue where we left off last evening. Uh, we have been dealing with seven phases of the circulatory system. And as we look at it in the sanctuary, now we have covered uh, the first uh, phase, which was the confessional stage of the sacrifice. And then the second thing we dealt with was the slain phase. And then third, we dealt with the application phase in the courtyard. And the fourth was the application phase in the sanctuary. And on this particular discourse, what we're going to look at is the fifth phase, which they call, which we would call the cleansing phase, the cleansing. And this is five. And there's a possibility we may get into the sixth, but uh, we'll see how the fifth go. And if we can get into the sixth part, then we will. But other than that, we'll probably get into the sixth on next week. So we want to look at the fifth phase of the cleansing. Now, in this cleansing phase, we see how the high priest Aaron and those who were involved in the atoning process were to bring about their cleansing. Now, we want to turn to Leviticus uh, chapter 20, chapter 16, that is, and want to start with verse 23. That's Leviticus. And in the book of Leviticus, which they call the book of the priests, and we want to look at verse 23. So here we go. Leviticus 16, 23 and following says, And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation and shall put off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. Okay. Now, in this passage in Leviticus uh, 23, it is talking about, on the Day of Atonement, uh, some of the things that took place, especially as we speak about this cleansing of which they carried out. So what we notice in these verses are a few cleansings taking place, Aaron and the one that assisted him. So when we read in, in uh, verse 23, it speaks about, the linen garment that he was to take off. And then it goes further to say in verse 24, and he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put his garments and, and put on his garments and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people and the fat of the sin offering shall he burn upon the altar, and he that let go the goat for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water, and afterward come into the camp. And the bullock of the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make an atonement, in the holy place shall one carry forth without the camp, and they shall burn in, burn in the fire their skins and their flesh and their dung. And he that burneth them shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. So what we are observing is that when the sins 
had been placed upon the scapegoat, in which they call Azazel, and sent into the wilderness, Aaron was involved with the Azazel, the scapegoat, and it has to go through a cleansing process. Okay, so after they had cleansed the people of their sins and they got the scapegoat into the wilderness, they themselves had to go through a cleansing process after that. And as we look in verse 23 of the 16th chapter, it says, and Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation and shall put off the linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. So in verse 23 of this particular chapter of Leviticus, we are told where and how the process took place for the priest. Now, let us look at this process step by step. After the sending away of the scapegoat by a fit man. Now, we notice that in verses 21 and 22, it says, And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. So when we look at that, letting go of the goat in the wilderness, uh, Aaron didn't Aaron didn't do that, but he had a man that assisted him. And when we read in verse 21, it, it tells us in the latter part of verse 21, it says, uh, and shall send, talking about the scapegoat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. So this goat was sent by a man. I'm not sure if he was a priest or a person that they had selected who was strong enough to take the goat out and to send him in the wilderness because sometimes a goat can be very stubborn and you have to have a man that is fit and capable of leading him into the wilderness. So the thing that we're looking at is that Aaron uh, had to deal with the scapegoat and then he had a man to assist him to deal with the scapegoat. Now, both the Aaron and this man had to go through a cleansing process uh, after having let the goat go into the wilderness. Therefore, the coming back into the tabernacle of the congregation would be the first step, which is so important about this step. Okay, we want to look at the importance of coming back to the sanctuary. So we are told uh, that they were to send the goat into the wilderness. And verse 23 says, and Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation. Okay, so here we see the Bible is specifically pointing out that Aaron was to come back into the tabernacle of the congregation. So we, we want to look at what it means by the tabernacle of the congregation. Okay. So now as we look at phase uh, five, which is the cleansing phase. Now this stage is going to also have a number of steps to go with it. Now, uh, what we're going to look at, in step one of this particular phase, step one is that he, Aaron returned to the tabernacle of congregation was Aaron's way of starting his cleansing process. So when he came back to the tabernacle of the congregation, that's where he started the cleansing process. So at this juxtaposition, let us probe into what it means by the tabernacle of congregation. This word for tabernacle comes from a Hebrew word, and it means ohel. And oftentimes when we translate the word ohel, we translate it tent. And that word ohel is O-H-E-L, ohel, which means a tent. 
So when he talks about the tabernacle of the congregation, he's talking about a tent of the congregation, a tent. And that's where we translate it in English is a tent. Now the word for congregation in this passage comes from the Hebrew word moed, moed. Now this word moed carries with it a number of meanings, okay? Even though it uh, has a plethora of meanings, there is a basic meaning that is shared by all of the meanings that, that they have. So let us examine this concept, okay? So when we look at congregation, uh, it means the following. The word moed, which means congregation, or, or, or in which we translate uh, congregation, it carries, uh, in addition to that, it carries the meaning an appointed feast, it carries the meaning of an appointed season, an appointed sign, and it carries the meaning of an appointed time. So what, what, we, what we see in this word congregation is an appointed feast, an appointed season, appointed sign, an appointed uh, time, and also uh, is dealing with a congregation, which basically uh, are the people Okay, so we're dealing with an appointed people as well. So what we notice in all of these meanings is that the basic meaning they all share is an appointed. In other words, it, share, it shares the appointment, okay, or the appointed. Each one, of the feast, the season, the time, the sign, and the person, they all share the word appointed or appointment, okay? Therefore, when we take into consideration that Aaron came back to the tabernacle of the congregation, he was coming back to at least four appointments. Let us see how these appointments align themselves with the cleansing that Aaron, the high priest, is about to undergo. Consequently, when it speaks about Aaron coming into the tabernacle of the congregation, he was coming into at least four types of appointments, four types, okay? First, as we pointed out, the Hebrew equivalent for the, tabern for the tabernacle of the congregation is the tent of the moed, the tent of the moed. A tent has to do with a place. That was a place he had to come back to. And Moed has to do with an assembly, like the congregation, an assembly, which is a people, okay? Now, both the assembly and congregation has to do with a gathering of a group of people. So apparently, the tent of Moed in English was translated as the tabernacle of the congregation. So when we look at the tabernacle of the congregation, we are talking about the tent of the Moed. And the reason, no doubt, that the translator of the King James Version had the tabernacle of the congregation is to let us know that this tent was placed in their midst to serve the congregation of Israel. That's, that's why I was there. It was a tabernacle of congregations called Elohim is simply saying, this is the tent for my people to serve Israel. They are my congregation. That's why I put it there. Now, the second thing we want to look at is, it was not only a place to serve the people, but the second thing that we're looking at, or the second appointment was, that it was that it the uh, the second appointment was that of a season, okay. So and and some words that we translate moed, it is not talking about a people, but it's talking about a uh, it's talking about a season, okay. Now when Yah revealed to Moses his festivals, which were to be kept by his people. 
he referred to them as moidims, of which the English we translate uh, moidim as seasons. So now in the same book of Leviticus, we want to turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. And in Leviticus chapter 23, we want to read um, verse number 2. 23.2. I'm going to start with there. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them concerning the feast of Yehoah, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. Now, these are the feasts that Elohim had given. And he was saying in this 23rd chapter, because in the 23rd chapter, it speaks about all of the feasts that he had given to his children, and it uses the word feast. Now, the word feast in, in Leviticus 23.2 uh, comes from the word moed, okay? So moed is the word that has been translated feast in this particular passage. Now, what I want you to see here is that after... You look at the word feast, and it's mentioned twice in verse 2. Twice it's mentioned, feast. And again, I reemphasize that it comes from the word moed, M-O-E-D, moed. And a lot of times when you see moed in the Hebrew, it was said moedin, because moedin, the I-M on the end of a Hebrew word, makes some of the Hebrew words plural. So it, you would see not moed, but moedins, okay? Now, what I want you to uh, look at also in verse 4 of, uh, of Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 4. And here it says, now, it had already emphasized the Sabbath as being a feast. And now Moses is talking about the annual feast that they, sh they, sh they should keep, okay? Now, notice how he starts to read in in. In, in, in Leviticus 23, when he gets with the annual feast, it said, these are the feasts, okay? Again, Moedim, of Yehoah, even holy convocations which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. Now, interestingly enough, the word seasons also means Moedims or Moed. That's what it means, Moed. So when we talk about the Moedims, in this sense, it's talking about the seasons, and the word seasons is Moedim. So when Yah revealed to Moses his festivals, which were to be kept by his people, he referred to them as Moedims, or seasons, of which in English we translate Moedim as seasons. However, it is true that the word we know as seasons largely have to do with spring, summer, fall, and winter. But this is not what this, this is talking about. It's not talking about the weather and the climate and the changes of the various seasons of the year. This is not what it's talking about. So but what, what, what we keep in mind is this, is that while it is true that these seasons, at least summer, winter, and fall, do correspond with Jehovah's festival days, they correspond. So if Aaron went into the tent, he was not only going into an, appoint, an appointed place, but he was also going into it in an appointed season or an appointed time. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important uh, simply because we're talking about the Day of Atonement. And as we talk about the Day of Atonement, uh, when Aaron came back, it was not only an appointed place dealing with an appointed people, uh, it was also dealing with an appointed time because on the appointed time is when uh, the Day of Atonement occurred. So when we look at the appointed time of the Feast of, uh, uh, of, a, of, the feast of Atonement or the Day of Atonement, it came on the 10th day of the seventh month. So uh, when he returned back to the tabernacle, he was doing it not only 
for the people and for a certain place, but he was also doing it according to the time in which it should be done. So that's what we pointed out, that when he came back, he was coming back on time, okay? Now let us turn back to Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16, okay? Leviticus 16, and we want this time look at verse 29, okay? And here's what verse 29 says. It said, and this shall be a statue forever unto you, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, ye shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. So what it is saying here, it is a statue, and the feast days are statues, and it says that when Aaron came back to the Moed, it was on the time and the place and the people, okay? So that let's let Let's now go to the, the, the third appointment, okay? The third appointment. What was the third appointment? This third appointment has to do with the appointment as a sign, as a sign, okay? Now, we know that when you study the festivals, in order to know when the festivals are, we can look at the heavens because the heavens tell us when we should keep the festivals, and when we look at the moon, the moon is the beginning of each month when we see the sliver moon, and when we see that just thin crescent is very thin, that starts the month. And so on the seventh month when they had that crescent moon, they know that 10 days later in the seventh month they would have the Day of Atonement, okay? But what we're going to look at is the fact that not only uh, were they looking at the people and, and the uh, place and the time in which they should keep it, but we'll find that the Day of Atonement is also a sign. Okay, I want you to turn with me in the book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis. And we want to look at chapter 1, Leviticus chapter 1, and we want to concentrate on verse 14. And here in, in Leviticus chapter, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 14 says, it said, and Elohim said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. So when we look at this verse, when Elohim puts the celestial bodies in the heavens, the sun and the moon and the stars, he said their purpose was, number one, he says, he says they are to give light, okay? They are to give light in the firmament of heaven, okay? They to give light in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night. So when we have the night divided from day and night, it is because of the celestial bodies that he has given us. And then it goes on to say, and let them be for signs. So when we look at the celestial bodies, they are to give us signs as well. Now, when we have the festival days, which is determined by the celestial bodies, then many of the festival days are not only something that we should be able to avail ourselves of by celebrating them, but we also should recognize that these festivals are signs and also that the Day of Atonement being a statue and being governed also by the moon for the month to know when to begin, that when we engage in it, it's also a sign. It is a sign. So this third appointment has to do with a sign. And as we look at the sign, we want to find out what sign is it. See, a sign was generally a phenomena that took place to point out an important event to take place. So when Aaron entered the appointed place at the appointed time, such an act was also an appointed sign. What was this appointed sign? 
the sign was that now that the sins and the transgressions of the priests and the people were done away with, it was a sign of cleansing from all sin before Yehoah. So that's what it was sign of. So whenever we celebrate the uh, Feast of Atonement over the Day of Atonement, it means that it's a sign of our cleansing. We have been cleansed. And not only have we been sinned, but all of our sins has been done away with. That's what it's a sign of. So every time we keep the Day of Atonement, we give a sign to the world that we have been cleansed from sin, and Elohim has also taken a record of sin from our lives. Okay, that was a fourth that was a fourth, uh, that was a fourth step. And let's look at the fourth step when we look at Moedim, the fourth step of the Moedim. This word Moed could also be translated solemn, solemn. Now something that is solemn is something that generally that stands out. And the Day of Atonement was one of the solemn days of which the ancient Israel were to affirm their sin-free life with Yahuwah by having their sins atoned for and their lives cleansed from sin. So when we look at the moiding or the moed of the Day of Atonement, it is telling us that in this particular uh, feast of the moed, that it affirms, it affirms the fact that our sins has been cleansed. It affirms it, okay? So here we have Aaron performing a cleansing act, okay? And it says in performing the cleansing act, he comes back to the sanctuary. And we are finding out that when he comes back to the sanctuary in an appointed place, which is the tent, and the part of the tent that he was in it is the holy place. That's the moed. He comes back to the holy place on an appointed season, and the appointed season was the feast of the Day of Atonement. And he comes with an appointed cleansing, which is a sign of reconciliation for an appointed affirmation, which was an atonement that they were free from sin. So when we see that he came to the tabernacle of the congregation, it has within it, it has the place, it has the season, it has the cleansing, and it has the affirmation. So it was very important that he came back. He came back to that place because he had a, an appointment there in time on the Day of Atonement. And this, what Aaron was doing, was, was to take place on the Day of Atonement for one day. And there was no other day in the year that he did this particular process and went through these particular steps. Okay, so when we looked at step one, it had four appointments. Now, what we want to do is go to Leviticus uh, again to uh, Leviticus 16:23. Okay, and now in Leviticus tw 23, it says this. It says, and Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation. Okay, that was step one. He staying, came back into the tabernacle of the congregation. Now let us look at the second step. What was the second step? Okay. Uh, the second step is found when it says, and he shall put off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place. Okay? So now we're looking at the second step. Once having come back to the tabernacle of the congregation, Aaron changed his clothing. And it says he put off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. So, we notice that in, in verse 4, let us look at verse 4, because the Bible says that he took off the linen garments that he had on. But let us look at uh, Leviticus 16.4 and what he did on the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16 and verse 4. Now here's what verse 4 says. 
It said, and he shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with a linen mitre shall he be attired. These are the holy garments, okay? So what we're saying here is that when we see that Aaron's first started officiating, he put on the linen garments, okay? And we are told that the linen garments that he put on was a linen coat, the linen breeches, and the linen, uh, uh, linen girdle, and a linen mitre that went upon his head. These are the holy garments that he put on. So when we look in verse number 23, that he took them off, those were the garments that he took off. That's what he took off. So in step two, we're dealing with him taking off these garments. He put them on, he did his work, and when he did his work, then he took them off. What we see here is that the garments Aaron put on after performing the atonement, he took them off. Thus, the high priest changed his clothing because of coming in contact with sinful sacrifices. So that, that goat, Azazel, was a sinful goat. And because he came in contact with it as a high priest. He didn't get, I wouldn't say that he got really uh, soiled bad, but it must be a slight uh, soiling that he did get by handling the goat. By coming in contact with the goat, some of the uh, contamination that the goat had got on Aaron. And even though it was just perhaps a slight bit, but it lets us know that no matter how small or how big sin is, it had to be done away with. So Aaron had to take off those clothes. He had to take off those soiled clothes, okay? So when we look at that, he took off his clothes. That was step two, okay? He came back, step one, and then... Step two was he took off his clothes. Now we're going to go to verse 24, step, step three. Now verse 24, 16, 24 says this. It said, and he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place. Okay. He shall wash his uh, clothes. Uh, I mean, he shall wash his flesh in water in the holy place. Now, you know, that's where he left his garments, them soiled garments he left in the holy place. Now, he was instructed through Moses, who was instructed by Elohim, to tell Aaron that when he came back, he was to take off the old garments, put them in, a, in the holy place, and then he was to wash his flesh. Okay, that was the third step in verse 24. Now, after taking off his soiled clothes, he washed his flesh in water in the holy place. What we also notice is that there are two washings, the first washing and the second washing, okay? Now, when we look at the, the uh, when we look at verse number four of the 16th chapter, okay, let's look at verse four, Leviticus 16, four. Now, here we are told in 16, four, and we want to go to the latter part, okay? He said, therefore, shall he wash his, his flesh in water and put on, put them on. So we read about the garments that he put on, which was the linen coat, the linen breeches, uh, the linen girdle, and the linen mitre. That's what he put on when he started it. But before he put those on, he had to have his uh, uh, flesh washed. So he had to bathe. He had to wash. He had to be clean. So that was the first washing. In order to put on the garments, he had to be clean, okay? And then, uh, then uh, after the first washing and then put on the clothes, then that was considered a part of the third step, the third step. He took off the soil clothes, 
okay? Or, the, I mean, when we deal with the washing, he put on the clothes with a washing, and when he takes off the clothes, there's a washing, okay? So that was step three. But now we're going to uh, continue in verse 24, okay? Because we're dealing with these two washings, okay? The first washing was when he put the clothes on, and then in step four in verse 24, it says, it says here in verse 24, and he shall wash his flesh with water in his holy place. So step four, after his second washing, he puts on his high priest clothing. Now notice this, what it says. It said in verse four, in step four, it says in verse 24, and he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments and come forth. Okay, so he put on some more garments. He said, put on his garments and then he shall come forth. So he put on some more garments after he had took off the soil garments and offered his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people. Okay, so in step four, it said after his second washing, he put on his high priest's uh, clothing. He put on the high priest's clothing. Okay, now what we want to look at now uh, uh, when he put on the high priest's uh, garment, what we want to look at is uh, let us briefly go over the garments in which the priest put on after his soil linen garments were taken off. Okay, let's look at that. Okay, now to understand what these garments were, what we're going to do is turn to uh, Exodus. Let us turn into the book of Exodus to so see what these garments were, Exodus chapter 28. So here in Exodus chapter 28, and we want to look at verses 1 through 5. Okay, in Exodus uh, 28, 1 through 5. And here it reads in verse 1 of the 28th chapter of the book of Exodus, And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the, with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate and an ephod and a robe and an broidered coat, a mitre and a girdle, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And verse 5 says, And they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. Okay, these were the garments that he put on after he took off the linen garments. That's what they were. Okay. When he took off the late linen garment, then he put on the high priest garment. And the high priest garment in verse 4 is in at least six, there were at least six parts to the high priest garment. Okay. At least six. All right. Now, when we look at those uh, six uh, parts of the garment, okay, they were the breastplate the ephod, the robe, the broidered coat, a mitre, and a girdle. Those were the six parts. You see, when you look at the other garments that he took off, all you had was the mitre, and you had, without a, uh, the, you had the girdle, and you had the robe, and, that, and the breeches. That, that was basically it. But when we look at the high priest's garment, then it was a uh, slight bit different in a sense that it, that it was more pieces, and not only was it more pieces, but it had uh, some different significance, okay? Some different significance. Okay, now here's what we want to look at. 
This is what I want to look at now. This is what happened on the Day of Atonement. Because the Day of Atonement was considered a, a day of cleansing, and they call it Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur means a day of covering, okay? Yom means day, and Kippur means cover. So when they had a, a Day of Atonement, they had a day of covering. And that only happens once a year. And not only was it called a day of cleansing, but it was also called a day of atonement, in which their sins was atoned for. But moreover, it is also called a day of judgment, okay? Because Elohim was looking to judge the people and see if their sins were forgiven and if they had confessed them. So it was a type of judgment, okay? So when we read in Exodus, uh, chapter 28, and we want to look at verse number 29, Exodus 28, 29. Here's what it says in the 29th verse of the 28th chapter. It said, And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial, for a memorial before Jehovah continually. Okay? So they called it the breastplate of judgment, okay? And remember, it was only one day a year that he went in to the most holy place, and it was like a judgment. And when he went in, uh, he had to have the breastplate of judgment. You see, the breastplate of judgment matches the day of a judgment, which was the day of atonement. So not only do we see that the place, the time, the people, and the day and what he did was in accord with the wedding, but we find also that even his dress was according to the day of atonement. He had a day of atonement dress. You see, all of the rest of the days, they just wore the linen suit, the breeches and, and, and the robe and the, the mitre. But on this day, he had to wear the breastplate of judgment because the breastplate of judgment, it fitted in with the day of judgment. And so when we look at that, it all had a similarity in being congruent with what uh, he was doing. So when Aaron came back, he went into the place, which was the tent, the Moedim, and he had a more deemed season, which was the Day of Atonement. He had a more deemed cleansing, which was a reconciliation. He had a more deemed uh, affirmation that they, clean, that they were clean and they were free from sin. And now we're saying he had a more deemed dress. He had a more deemed dress. Now, what we want to point out at this juxtaposition is that there were two places on the high priest's garments on the day of atonement where whereby the children of Israel's names were carried by the high priest. Okay. We want to look at these two places that their names were carried. Okay. So when we look at Exodus chapter 28 and we start with verse number nine, Exodus 28, nine, we want to look at two places in which the names of the children of Israel was carried by the high priest on the day of a judgment. Now here it says in verse number nine of chapter 28 of Exodus, it said, and thou shalt take two onyx stones and grave on them the names of the children of Israel. It says six of their names on one stone and the other six names of the rest on the other stone according to their birth, okay? Now, this, this may have been the origin of what we call birthstones. People talk about, I got a birthstone. Now, this may have been the origin of that. I don't know, but it sounds like uh, it comes from this. So, in other words, when Jacob had 12 sons, they were to put these 12 sons, which develop into the nation of Israel, they were to take six of his sons on one stone and six on the other stone, and they were to be according to their birth. Now, we know that Reuben was the first son, okay? So, no doubt, he would go on one stone with the other children that came, and the last six that were born would go on the other stones. And it goes on further to say in verse 11 of the 28th chapter of Exodus, with the work of an engraver in stone, 
like the engravings of a signet, shalt thou engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel, and thou shalt make them to be in be set in ouches of gold, and thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod of the stones of a memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before Yehoah upon, upon his two shoulders for a memorial. So the first place that they carried the names of the children of Israel is on the shoulders of the high priest, and one shoulder had a stone of six names of the children of Israel, and the other shoulder had the names of the six uh, nations of Israel. So that's where they were carried. Now, let us find the other place. So on the high priest's shoulder were two stones, which had six names on one and six names on the other. In other words, by carrying them on the shoulder, he was saying that he carries the weight of the sins of his people on his shoulders. Okay. Now let's see the let's see the other place which we've already already talked about briefly. Now here in Exodus twenty eight fifteen says it says and thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work after the work of the ephod thou shalt make it of gold of blue of purple and of scarlet and of fine twine linen shalt thou make it. So that's how they had to make the breastplate. Okay, it had gold, and it had uh, the the materials or the cloth of blue, of purple, of scarlet, and fine twine linen. So those four colors and those four type of materials were to be a part of the breastplate because it's the breastplate of judgment. Okay, now we'll read in the same 28th chapter of, of, of Exodus, and we'll look at verse uh, 17, it says, And thou shalt set in it settings of stones, even four rows of stones, okay? So in other words, when they had the breastplate, they were to put uh, 12 stones on that, birth, on, on that uh, breastplate. And when they did it, it was saying here in verse 17, it was going to be four rows, okay? So if you had four rows, that meant that each row, if you had 12, would be three apiece. Each roll had three, 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 because it said four rows, and so four go into twelve three times. Okay, so each roll consisted of three stones, and it talks about the the the, the stones that that were to be in these rolls. So let's kind of look at those stones. It says here uh, in verse seventeen. He says, the first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and a carbuncle. Okay, this was the first row. And the second row shall be an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a ligure, and an agave, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, and an onyx, and a jasper. And it says, they shall be set in gold in their enclovings, okay? Now, notice what verse 21 says. Verse 21 says of Exodus 28, and the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel, 12 according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, everyone with his name shall they be according to the 12 tribes. So what he is saying here is I, I not only carry you on my shoulders and I shoulder the responsibility, but I carry you on the breathplate. In other words, I carry you on my heart because the breathplate was over the heart of the priest. And when you notice that the breathplate is over the heart, the heart is the closest place to Elohim's affection, his heart. And so he wanted to put his children, after they had been redeemed, he wanted to put them very close to him. He wanted to put them close to his heart, which was the breastplate. And so the names in the day of judgment, when he came in, he had the names on his shoulders and he had the names on his heart. Okay, so we'll, we'll draw this to a conclusion. Uh, the fifth step of the cleansing 
there might be some observations or some uh, in, uh, insights that you may have picked up as we gave that discourse. So we'll conclude the fifth phase of the cleansing and be able to get a little dialogue on that. Okay, so one of the kind of the questions I have mm-hmm. was with the scapegoat being led into the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Is it was a is it a particular reason why Aaron did not let it go, and it was another man to let it go into the wilderness? Did Yahuwah not want him to be the one to let the go, uh, goat go? Well, I, let, let me answer you in two ways. In two ways, uh, I'm not sure if the Bible gives explicitly the reason why. Aaron didn't take it into the um, into the into wilderness, uh, but we know from Scripture that this service that Aaron was performing was one that had been given to him by Moses, who had received it from Elohim. Okay, so he was merely carrying out uh, what Elohim had given, and I think uh, Aaron, being the high priest. His uh, particular ministry was in the sanctuary, okay? So as it was in the sanctuary, then um, this meant that that was his jurisdiction, and then he got somebody else uh, to kick it out into the wilderness, okay? Now, I'm going to ask you that way, and then I'm going to come another way, okay? So that's because of the instruction that had, had been given, okay? But now a lot of things, if you read in scripture, a lot of things, the scriptures may not come out and say, okay, it may not come out and say it, but you can read what is going on by the actions which are taking place, okay, by the actions which are taking place. Now, now, now when we, when we look at, and we'll, and, and when we get to the last part of the, uh, what we call the sacrificial system, okay? This is what we're dealing with. When we deal with the last part of the sacrificial system on, on this, uh, the question that you asked may be a lot more answered at that particular point than here, but let me just put this out since the question is on the floor, is that when Aaron officiated in the, in the sanctuary, it was his responsibility uh, in the court as well as in the holy and the most holy place uh, to officiate. So if that is the case, this would mean that there's an obligation to someone else that when you go outside of the sanctuary, because the fit man who had taken the goat out, he, he took him out into the wilderness. And then when he came back, the man that came back who was a fit man, he had to wash his clothes just like Aaron. He had to wash and change his clothes. So this would lead me to believe just by the actions is that uh, the high priest only goes so far. And once he goes that far, okay, is telling, telling me and is telling you that there's a responsibility that we, we, we may have and taking sin out of the camp, okay? In other words, Aaron got it to the scapegoat, but it's up to us to take, 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 it, out, uh, take it out of the camp. So the fit man took over where Aaron uh, stopped was to take it all the way out of the, out, 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 out of the camp into a wilderness, okay? So, so it didn't say that, but we know by the behavior that a fit man, it didn't, it, it didn't describe the fit man as a priest. It didn't describe him as an ordinary person. It just said a fit man. And so I would draw the conclusion a fit man could have been a priest. He could have been an ordinary priest because Aaron had two sons. Mm-hmm. Well, he had four sons. Two of them were struck dead because they off the strange fire. But it could have been one of them. I don't know. It could have been. But they were officiating in the uh, on the high priest officiated in the in in the tabernacle itself, 
and it did it may have been a, a common person that came in and he and he took 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 it out and he took it out of the camp but like i said once we get into the last portion i think we'll be able to define it a, a lot more clear okay and it, it's interesting too uh in regards to the word mo moed because as I look it up, um, as it's broken down in Strong's Concordance, mm -hmm. um, like you said, means congregation, feast, time. Yeah, interesting uh, word. Mm -hmm. A place in assembly. Mm -hmm. And it just it's interesting how that one word connects all of those things together. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And when I looked at that, I said, this is, this is quite profound. Uh, you know, and they put it in, and even the other observation I was making that when he had the breastplate of judgment, all of that stuff fitted in together. Yeah, yes. it had multiple. It had multiple meanings, and you know that's that's where a Hebrew word is. A Hebrew, if you go into some of the the nuances and the meanings of many of the Hebrew words, they have a depth of meaning. This is why sometimes English cannot bring out that which the Hebrew has in, in it. A lot of the words that Elohim has they are pregnant with meaning and mm -hmm. if we can give birth to the meanings that is capsulized or encapsulated in these hebrew words it would bring a whole new meaning out of many of the concepts that we are dealing with wow now my, my other question too is um uh, was it two times or three times that aaron had to cleanse himself and did that have any significance in regards to sin? Yeah, oh, it definitely had something to do with sin. But let me answer the first part first. Mm -hmm. uh, now, you remember when we read, he cleansed himself before on the Day of Atonement. He cleansed himself first. Uh, and then he put on the linen garments. He put on the mitre. He put on the uh, the linen uh, robe. He put on the britches. And no doubt he had a girdle. And it was all lit. And garment, okay. Mm -hmm. That's that's what he put on, and that was the first cleansing, okay. Now, after he had finished officiating and getting rid of the goat and sent it out by a fit man, then he had to come back and wash himself. He had to take off those garments and wash himself again, and that was the second cleansing. So, so, so thus far, we have seen you know two cleansing, okay, two mm -hmm. cleansing, okay. Now, what was the last part of that question you had? Uh, oh, was there any significance in ties oh, yeah. to sin? Oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that was significant. I, I brought out a little bit when I was trying to explain it, but I didn't bring it out. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't linger on it. I kind of dealt with it in the passing. Yes, it has to do with sin. In other words, uh, uh, there, there are some passages in the scriptures, but I, I'm just going to explained it in a common sense manner, okay? I think mm, the way I'm going to explain it, I think most of us will understand it. If we have kind of like a brief knowledge of the scriptures, it's not anything so heavy. Uh, if you remember when Yeshua, and I believe in the 13th chapter of the book of John, when he was uh, washing the disciples' feet, and as he came to Peter, Peter said, Lord, you're not going to wash me. And he said to Peter, he said, if I don't wash you, you don't have any parts with me. Mm. Okay. Mm. Now, Peter, who loved Yeshua, he said, well, if I can't have no part with you, he said, Yeshua, he said, not only wash my feet, he said, wash my entire body. He said, wash my entire body. And so Yeshua returned to reply to Peter. He says, but if your feet is washed, you don't need your whole body to be washed. In other words, what he was saying uh, oftentimes when you refer to the, uh, the labor that was in the court of the sanctuary, you know, they call it the mikvah. The mikvah is where they had the cleansing, okay? Mm -hmm. And so what he was trying to tell Peter, you've probably been baptized or you've already taken a bath before you left home. You're already clean. But you might have gotten a little dirty on the way, and so you don't need to take a whole bath. All you need to do is just clean the little bit of soil you got on your feet. And, you know, that was a custom anyway, even during the time of Abraham, when a, a, a stranger come, you give them water and you wash their feet. That was, that was a custom. And so the custom also had a significance that oftentimes 
when we have been clean, when the Elohim has cleaned us totally, then there are some sins that we may commit. They're not big sins. And so we need a little cleansing, okay? We need a little cleansing. We don't need to go back to the baptismal pool or go back to the mikvah and just take a whole bath, but we just need to have a little cleansing, and they call it the foot washing. So when we go back to your question, is that what was the significance? Well, the significance was this. Uh, most of the sins, of, you remember the high priests, as well as, as well as the people had to be cleansed. So once they have been cleansed, they clean all over, okay? But by Aaron handling the sacrifices, it was saying basically, as he was handling the sin offering, he probably got a little soil from the goat. And so he didn't need to go through a, a complete cleansing process, but what he did need to do as a result of coming in contact with, with the goat, he got a, probably a little bit of soil. You know, it wasn't, wasn't probably a lot. It was just a little bit, but Elohim is saying that even a little bit of sin, a little bit, I'm not going to even tolerate that. We're going to have to get rid of sin completely. This is why a lot of people, they wonder that why did he allow Adam and Eve to have the penalty of death when they sinned? Because all they did was eat a little piece of fruit. But Elohim said, I do not tolerate sin in the least, not one iota, not one bit. I don't want any sin. I want it to be completely clean. So when we look at it, even though Adam, even though Aaron had not sinned in a grave or uh, what we might say in uh, a big way, even the little taint of sin that he had, Elohim didn't want him to have it. So the cleansing process was to get rid of every bit of sin. That's what Elohim died for, to get rid of all of the sin, not just some of it, all of it. My next uh, thing I noticed, too, has to do with the engraving of stone of mm -hmm. the names of the children of Israel. And mm -hmm. it's interesting because it says they were engraved in stone to basically let the nations know this is unchanging. Because generally, to me, when something is set in stone, mm -hmm. it can't be changed. Right. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I found that interesting because... I think in this day and age, people look to change things, especially yeah, uh -huh. when it comes to the Bible. But he has written it in stone. He wrote his uh, the commandments in stone. These and it was basically saying to me, these things are set and they cannot uh -huh. be changed under any circumstances. Right. Uh -huh. That's right. No, it is it, it, permanent. OK. And what he what, what Elohim is saying is that. You know, his people uh, are going to be eternal. You know, they're going to they're gonna be eternal. I put it in stones. And uh, you got a lot of imagery of, uh, of uh, you got a lot of type and antitype going on here. Because mm -hmm. when we get in some, some of the antitype, we'll, we'll see what you're saying in more of a vivid way. But whenever they put something in stone, it meant it, that it was permanent. Okay, so when you look at uh, just what you just said, I, I reiterate that. When he put the Ten Commandments on stone, what did he do? He put it on something that's going to be permanent. Yeah. And when Moses broke it, he said, hey, you know, you may have broken it, but it's still permanent. Mm -hmm. He said, get you another uh, set of tables. And when you get the other set of tables, I'm going to put the same words there. Mm. It's a permanent thing. In other words, what, one of the things that we must understand about Elohim, which I, I'm coming to uh, understand it more and more, whatever he says is permanent. Mm -hmm. It's permanent. You, 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 can't, you can't, can't get rid of it. Now, why, why is what he says is permanent? Because it's eternal. Then you ask the question, why is it eternal? Because Elohim is eternal. And whatever he speaks and whatever he does, it's eternal. It's not going to change. He's not an he, Elohim that changes. Because if he could change, we may not never had uh, to have the plan of salvation. He could he could have said, "Well, let me let me just change it." But he knew, in order to have an eternal existence and an eternal kingdom, then it must be built upon eternal laws. And so, once he built it upon eternal laws, it could not be changed. Wow. 
And uh, before we go, it's one thing too, um, and I know we're going to deal with this uh, in the future, probably maybe before the end of the year, so we want you to tune in. But when you was explaining in Genesis one fourteen, mm-hmm. I didn't know about he had already mentioned the appointed feast in creation of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and it's interesting when he mentions the feast and it's a, you know, it, it's a statue that's supposed, that is forever. Mm-hmm. Forever. And so, you know, um, it's really interesting because some people, uh, feel that the feasts have been done away with. And I know mm-hmm. we're going to deal with this down the road, but it's yeah, just totally interesting yeah. that right. it, he appoints it in the beginning. So that's, that's yeah, right. going to be a key for our listeners. We're going to deal with this. We're going to deal with these holidays. We're going to deal with these feast days and the importance of them mm-hmm. from the beginning, even until now. Right. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So can you uh, take us out here on prayer? Okay, let's look to our maker. Eternal Father, we thank you for another session that we can be able to go into the sacrificial system on the Day of Atonement and see the process that was taking place in order for our sins to be forgiven. And we pray, Lord, Yehoah, that as we look to you, that the power of the Holy Spirit may help us to understand the blood that was shed for us in order to give us the redemption that we need. And then when the blood of the Father has had its effect in our lives, the blood of Yeshua, may the power of your Holy Spirit continue to conform our lives to that which you would have it to be. That as we understand the process in which our sins were taken away, that we may be able to enter into that process and know that our sins personally may be taken away. And on the Day of Atonement, they're not only taken away, but the record of sin is done away with. Looking forward to the great day when the great judgment is over that we shall have entered into the process that we can hear from your lips one day. Well done. Now, Father, as we go forth the rest of this week, that you would be with us and guide us and protect us. And if it be your will, bring us back together again next week that we can discuss the sixth phase of what that which we have been dealing with, that we can further understand the things that you have in store for us and how the process, be able to redeem and reconcile us back to thee. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. We want to encourage you to constantly study and read the Bible. I want to challenge many of you listeners to wake up to scripture and to Yahuwah in prayer and go to sleep with a scripture into a prayer. It only takes less than a minute to read at least a verse or two and have prayer because we want you to have a connection with the most high. So that is our show for the day. We want to encourage you to follow the podcast weekly. Feel free to email us at science of the covenant at gmail.com with your questions or comments. And as, as I state every week, In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto Elohim, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Until next week, shalom.